perhaps the most familiar subject to the Jewish people at the time of Christ, the very subject and the theology of the Jews was the descent of the Messiah. What I mean by that is whose son was he? And uh, that played a major part of their theology. The Messiah. They talked about the Messiah, the son of David, constantly. That was at the top of the line. And do you know, this week we're going to look at the most familiar subject in their theology. And it should have been. Definitely should have been. You look to the Messiah. We look to Christ coming back. We saw what He did at the cross. And then we look to Him coming. Well, they were looking to His first coming, which they never really realized. That's what Jesus is doing in the temple now. Uh, trying to pick this up. Has it been? It seems like it's been months since we were last here. But if you remember, Jesus is in the temple. And they've been asking him questions, a series of questions, Pharisees, Sadducees, of course the Herodians were even involved, and then the scribe came up and asked the greatest question, I mean as far as what is the great commandment of God. And Jesus answered that. He answered every one of them. Left them astounded. They couldn't even answer back to what He had. So Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem in this Passion Week, taking an opportunity to teach The bottom line of his whole ministry now is going to be brought forth in this little passage that uh, we deal with today. After the issue of the most important commandment, love God, all your heart, mind, soul, straight, love your neighbor, it's the second commandment, is what comes up now is Jesus saying, okay, who is the Messiah? Whose son is he? He's not saying at that very moment that He is, even though it is definitely put forth for all to solve. Who is this? What is His identity? Who do they say He is? Of course, they've been having quite a quandary with that. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Nazareth man? And that's really the question of the ages, isn't it? For every man, woman, and child who has ever been born on this earth, past, present, future, that is the question. And if you sit here this morning and you know who He is, you have been greatly blessed. Now, the thing is, as He's asking, who do you believe this Son of David is? It comes down to a matter of eternity. And it's the most foundational element in our lives. Of course, who this Jesus is. Um, What we believe about Christ or the Messiah is absolutely essential. Without a doubt. And if one is wrong about Jesus, who He is and what He's about, the soul is condemned forever. That's how important it is. Jesus had been presenting Himself, His teaching, His preaching, His healing, casting out of demons. He had been seen by thousands and thousands and thousands out in open daylight. It was not done in secret corners. People saw this. They witnessed it. All that He said and did. It only could have been God. What were they thinking? This could only be God. How could anybody not believe He was God? People didn't recognize it. As a whole, the nation didn't get it that He was a Messiah. They couldn't confess Him as God. That's the problem. And that's what He's going to be hitting at this morning when we read this here in a few moments. Or if you've already read it, you know what I'm talking about. But we know that the people of Israel certainly believed in a Messiah, a Messiah coming. Their whole theology is focused on that. And that's right, and it's true. They believed in a Messiah. The only problem is, is that they didn't believe that the Messiah had already appeared. He had appeared right before their eyes. There were many people in that temple that day, that week. Uh, Of course, whenever he had come down uh, in that victorious march, Hosanna in the highest, the son of David, as they say right there. The only problem is, they want this leader... They want this leader to um, come as they recognize him as one who is leading them politically to conquer all the nations. 
But they didn't look to him as an individual savior. They saw him a Messiah to be that would be the savior of their nation politically, but not as individual savior. That's the problem. They need to recognize if they have sinned, He's a holy God. They need to repent and believe and trust in Him. And about this kingdom, as He preached, repent. But He's God. He's God in human flesh. They just can't conceive of that. That is just horrible that that would be the way it is. They can't think of the Messiah as being a man a God-man, you know what their best hope is? That he be like David. David was a pretty big man in their eyes, wasn't he? And God had greatly blessed him as a great king. A man who was actually a conquering king. And he had blood on his hands, didn't he? Killed many, many of Philistines, but had to battle the enemy. And that's what God had called him to do. So what about Jesus? Well, if he's the son of David what he's going to do for our nation. Now the religious leaders, they did everything they could to discredit Jesus because what are people saying about him as a whole? This is the son of David. This this must be the Messiah. And we'll back that up in a moment. They try to diminish everything because if he is the one, then they're going to follow him and they'll just drop them. This is their livelihood. This is what it's all about. And if He comes in and takes their place, they are convicted. They are guilty before Him. And He's looking more powerful than they are. They're very angry at Him. So angry they want to do what? They want to kill Him. So He was questioned by the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's questioned by the the elders. He's questioned by the lawyers, the scribes. And you know what? They tried to embarrass him and make him look bad and then the people would turn on him because they recognize him as the son of David. They said on that on the triumphal entry. And uh, blind men have been calling him that. Other people have been calling him that. And so when they ask him that question to embarrass him, he turns the tables on them and puts egg on their face. They are the ones that are embarrassed They walk away, then they huddle together and they ask another question, you know, they're going to get him this time. And he just finishes them off every time. And, you know, they they feel like the fourth platoon of the Philistines who were asked to wake up Samson after he had wiped out their uh, earlier detachments. (laughs) You know what Samson did? How would you like to see what Samson did knowing that he can take out hundreds of people in one stroke almost? And you're next, right? Uh, I wouldn't want to be asking Jesus any questions because He answers them every time. Nobody's been able to answer those questions. And now it's time for Jesus to go on the attack, to ask a question. But His motive is pure and it's correct, it's right, and it's good. matter of fact, it's very gracious. Let's stand. Let's go to the Word of God, the ancient words, right? Mark 12, verse 35. And Jesus began to say, as He taught in the temple, how is it that scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the Son of David? David himself said, in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this son of David, who is the son of God, who is very God himself. And he gives us another passage that just anchors our belief on who he is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. And I want to tell you, had this prepared last week. And so what do I do during this week? Well, a lot of things went on. But as I started looking at it, more things came into thought. And my passages here that I was writing down just kind of grew. And my notes kind of grew. And 
I'm glad this is uh, just a section of three verses. So we'll see if I can get almost up to noon today. No. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, we're right there at verse 35, right? We're going to start off with the theological question. There's a theological question, then we'll get to the scriptural question. And we'll get into some application. Right there in verse 35, Jesus began to say as He taught in the temple. Jesus had been doing this the whole week, in the middle of the week here. keeps teaching in the temple. What an opportunity as He comes right upon the heels of the question of the greatest commandment. And it's interesting, at the end of verse 34... Jesus had said, you are not far from the kingdom of God, to that scribe. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. That's right. That's it. That's, they, all they're going to do is make themselves look even worse. They're not going to ask him any more questions. So it's now, as he has waited very patiently, he will ask them a question. And it's not necessarily to this one who asked him this question about the commandment, that's the scribe, the lawyer. But it's still kind of on the heels of that, and he's there along with probably many others, and they're all focused on what he's going to do. What an opportunity. So, he has been addressing people who have great knowledge. Supposed to have great knowledge. Not necessarily wisdom that they have, but some knowledge about the law, Right? They knew the law and the prophets. Who's the scribe? Uh, well, the scribe is a lawyer. Should he know the law? Yeah. They've been setting traps. Consequences become very disastrous for them. The Lord asks a very positive question for a positive purpose. Having the saving objectives not to make fun of them or to show them that they don't know anything although that is part of it but there is a saving salvation objective here that people would ponder after he's done with it is this the son of David the son of God That's what he's trying to get them to. So he's teaching, isn't he? In the temple, here come the scribes. And just to uh, kind of explain a little bit about the scribes for a moment, we probably touched on this a little bit last time. We'll try to add on a little bit more. The scribes are some of the people that the regular common people just adore. You know, they, they think highly of them. You recognize them very easily. They're not going to be coming walking down the street in just common garb. They're going to be wearing long white robes all the way down to the ground. Now that in itself would be enough, wouldn't it? I mean, have you ever seen anybody wearing a white suit? You know, walking down the street? I mean, it does get your attention one way or the other, right? Now, on their robes are these hymns, H-E-M-M-E, or H-E-M-M, or H-E-M-S, whatever. There's fringes. It's not hymns out of the hymn book. But the hymns and the white attire here is standing out above everybody because everybody else really are going to be, they're going to be people that are common people. They're wearing bright clothes. People in the Middle East, they'd wear bright clothes. They're wearing that. And there you have these guys coming into the, the streets and they're like swans just gliding amongst the common mud hens. You can't, you know, you can't miss them, right? There's a reason they're doing this. We, we know, they want the attention. They, they are very prideful people. Jeremiah, not the Jeremiah the prophet, but this guy is a New Testament scholar. And he gives us some uh, pretty good insights on uh, some other things. All the people, whenever they would see these scribes walking along, would rise. If, uh, and, and it would be a respectful way. If, if they were sitting down, they would immediately get up, almost at attention. 
scribes would pass by. Now, if you were a tradesman and you were busy at the time, they weren't necessarily uh, having to do that. They were kind of exempt from that because they'd be doing that all day long because those scribes are everywhere in Jerusalem. But they were greeted as rabbi. They were greeted as master. They were greeted as lord. They were greeted as father. Mm. Jesus said, call no man father. Father in heaven, right? They were given a place of honor. Whenever somebody had a banquet or a feast, they certainly had to be invited, and they would be sitting at the head of the table, obviously. Very place of honor. Matter of fact, they were to be honored above the aged. The aged were supposed to be honored in that society, but if there was a scribe in the presence, they were honored much more over the elders there or the parents that might be there. Uh, when they came to the synagogue, they sat in high places. They sat in the place of ultimate honor. Matter of fact, there would be the Torah, the law, and it would be in a case, a cabinet, and they would stand right in front of that for all to p- people to see uh, their pious, religious faces. Everybody could see them in that great seat of honor. They were proud birds that Jesus addresses. That's the kind of people they were. And Jesus had just answered a scribe's question about the commandment. Don't you know? People are amazed at that. Jesus is not wearing any white. He's not wearing anything special. Just common, common uh, robe and such. But there he is. He, he starts doing what they've been doing. Asks this question. And it's about a scripture. It's about a scripture they would know very well. One of the most famous verses that they would ever even be dealing with. Matter of fact, last time we were here, we talked about the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 passage. Here, O Israel, you know, the Shema. The Lord our God is one Lord. You know, everybody knew that. They'd say it twice a day. So he's going right for the throat, if we can say that, with the very passages they knew best. Now, he doesn't go on some verses they've never heard of. Some kind of a verse that's kind of set aside and it's kind of odd. It seems like it's kind of by itself and tries to trick them with that. He goes with something that they know <laughs> or should know. So he questioned How is it that the teachers of the law, it says scribes there, but that's what they, they taught the law. <laughs> How is it that the teachers of the law, that's you guys, <laughs> that's you, 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 you. You know, when he says that, they, they all know. They all, they all know exactly who he's talking about. How is it that you say that Christ, or in their terminology, the Messiah, the Mashiach, is the son of David? How do you say that? Now, he's not saying it's wrong because it's in Scripture, but he's trying to get them past where they're stuck at. They believe that the Messiah had to be a physical descendant of David. Now, there might have been a few oddballs that didn't believe that, but believe me, they, as, a, as a whole, they all believed in Psalm 110 and everything's pointing to the Messiah. Uh, this is the son of David, and that's correct. Absolutely right. We can look at it today and say, yes, that's, that's true. How is it? How is it that he's called the, the son of David? He wants to get them to thinking. Now, um, as the scribes say that the Christ, the Christ, Christos is in the Greek, and we get our English word, Christ. Okay, uh, You've heard of the word christen, to christen. Uh, I've seen them often whenever they would take what, a bottle of wine or something and, and break that bottle over the ship's front end there, whatever they call it. Is that the, what, I don't know, whatever. The what? The there we go, all right. Boom. Crash. And it's been christened, right? It's, it's been anointed. Um, in Jewish theology, the Messiah would be the priest. He'd be the king. Right? The priest. The king. They would always anoint a priest. They would always anoint a, a king. Right? 
They'd always do that. There was an anointing, a Messiah, a Mashiach, uh, uh, that was to put them into place of what they were. People would identify um, who they were when that would happen. God anointed also, the, He's a prophet. So they would always anoint the prophet, anoint the priest, anoint the king, anointed one. He's all three of them. If you were a prophet, you couldn't be a priest, couldn't be a king, and all the above on the other ones. A priest couldn't be a king, a king couldn't be a priest. Each one did their roles, and so here is the one who is the anointed, the Christos, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one who is the anointed as a prophet, anointed as a priest, anointed as a king. Matthew 24, 41 gives us some insight. I'm sorry, it's chapter 22. 22-41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. You notice that? There's the Pharisees gathering together again. What are we going to do now? We've tried everything. They're gathering together. We have to do something quick. They're gathering together after that final question. And he says, oh, he doesn't let them get away or anything. What about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They have to answer. Well, everybody knows he's the son of David, right? We know that. So Messiah is seen in Hebrew as the Mashiach. As the Messiah. And so have we solidified that? They all believe that. Jesus knows exactly how to get to truth, doesn't He? And He hits them with the very verse that they should understand. They all had an answer. And if you look in Isaiah 9-7, they would have known this. They should have. Isaiah 9, a, a great messianic passage. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord host will accomplish this. This is the Messiah. They knew that. They knew the law. So we have a Psalm 110, which we haven't turned to yet, but we have read it. We read it in Mark, and we'll be turning to that shortly. But look in Jeremiah. Now that's Isaiah the prophet, a great prophet. Jeremiah, another great prophet. Chapter 23, they all should know this. 23.5, what we're doing is establishing the fact all of these Jewish leaders, they knew that what the son of David was. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Now this is explaining about our Christ. Aren't you thankful that he's king and he acts wisely in everything that he does? He is just. And he is righteous. And aren't you glad that he has made you, he has declared you righteous? Because you stand righteous and just before Him. Because of Him. He's a righteous prince, but we emphasize raising up for David a righteous branch. It's going to extend from Him. So we've seen Isaiah, we've seen Jeremiah, we know about the Psalm 110. They're right. They look for a deliverer from David's bloodline. That's the idea. However, they never thought of this Messiah as being God. Mm-mm. That would be blasphemy. To us, it's like, isn't that incredible? How can He not be God? It's the whole point. He's a man who's greatly exalted, but He is certainly not God. And that's the way they're going to stick with that, even though there He is. Now we come back to our Mark passage. Jesus began to say as He taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes 
say we talked about scribes, we talked about Christ the Mashiach, is the son of David. That's our next little thing. It's easy to go along with expository teaching, right? You catch that? We just break it apart, one word at a time, one phrase. Now we go to the son of David. Well, we've already seen a lot of things about that. Of all the titles for Messiah, this is the most common. There are different titles for the Messiah, but the son of David is chief. The son of David. Let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. This is a covenant God makes with David. In the Old Testament, there are several different covenants. Some of them are just building off of other ones. This one is a promise to David that even though he's not going to be able to build the temple, his son will, Solomon, but he will not. But here's the promise that God gives to David. Verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, there's a little picture of that in Solomon. Solomon came, Solomon's name is Shalom. You know what Shalom means? Peace. And do you know what? He's the only king that you can look in in Jewish history that had peace for quite a period of time in the sense of true peace. And you know the story of Solomon. A very wise man. But at the same time, we know his sin. He was Ecclesiastes. And you go, wow. But the thing is, he's part of God's covenant. But that's really only a picture because we're talking about one who will reign on the throne forever. This is stated before the prophet's time. We read in Isaiah. We read in Jeremiah. We're going back to the time of David. That's 1000 B.C. And this is what they believed in. Um, Let's go to Psalms 89. We're going to do quite a few scriptures this morning, and and we're going to do quite a bit in Matthew and just kind of breeze through these. Matter of fact, Dwayne hit on this this morning. Oh, that was very good. We hadn't even um, colluded together. He came up with a great passage, and I didn't. I didn't even have it in my all the verses that I'm using today. That's great because. It was out of Luke, Luke, uh, Luke one, and it mentions the son of David, and of course him coming from from God. Um, very explicit in in Psalm eighty nine, verse three and four, we get something here that I think is uh, very helpful. Here's what they would know: I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. Now we just more or less read that in Second Samuel, didn't we? as this is being written down, I will establish your seed forever and build your throne to all generations. This is more than just Solomon's throne. This is to all generations. This is an eternal throne. It's an eternal covenant. And it's coming through one who is the descendant of David. Go to verse 20. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. There's anointing. And I have anointed Mashiach, Messiah, Christos, Christ. I have Christed him. That's the idea. Anointed. It's not just David, but it's the son of David. Keep going. Let's go to Amos the prophet. An old, ancient word that we get. Amos nine, eleven. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth of David, and wall up its breaches. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That means this, as Amos is writing, he's talking about God's judgment and uh, it is going to come, certainly. But after that, I'm going to raise up one who comes from the branch, from the line of David. 
in Judah, David is featured there. Of course, Micah 5 2, 5, 2 talks about Bethlehem of Ephratah. And there he mentions that same kind of thing from Bethlehem and really what he's going to be is going to be coming from David's city, Bethlehem. And Ezekiel um, chapter 37, verse 24. Ezekiel is before the book of Daniel. And 30, uh, 37, 24. My servant David, Ezekiel is writing like uh, 300 years after the time of David, okay? My servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant in which your fathers lived and they will live on it and their sons and their sons forever. And David my servant will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. By the way, and the nations, that's even us today, will know that I am the Lord or Yahweh who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst forever. Son of David. They knew these. They had to have these down. Matthew. Now in the New Testament, they didn't have Matthew to read. It hadn't been written yet. They could have talked to Matthew. I'm not so sure how much he could have helped them out at the time. But here's what he does now. In the time of the church, in the very first century, here's what Matthew wrote with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit goes to great lengths to prove that Jesus is the King, the Anointed One, or the Messiah, the Son of David. And he starts right in chapter 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. You notice that? Right off the bat, Matthew, the Jew, does not hesitate at all about who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes right on down. But he starts with the king there. He could have started with Abraham, who is the father of the nation. Wouldn't you think you'd start with him? And as he proceeds chronologically after that, but no, here he starts with David. It seems like it's out of order. This is like 500 years after Abraham. But yet, Matthew is writing the whole gospel about the king, the son of David. And he proves that he is it. If you're writing in the first century, you have a lot to prove and you have a lot of information to prove with, don't you? He is an eyewitness. So in the ninth chapter of Matthew, we read about an interesting incident involving... I think a blind man... In uh, 9.27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed Him, crying out, Have mercy on us. What's the next three words? Son of David. Blind men. And we've read this many times, but I hope something just stuck out at you. Knowing what the Jews thought of the son of David, what are they calling this man who hasn't even healed them yet? What are they calling him? The Messiah. The son of David. You don't call that to any person. Not to anybody unless you know they're the Messiah. Isn't this interesting? How do two blind men know that he's the son of David? They don't even see him. And even if they did, he would just look like some ordinary person. He's not wearing the white garbs. 
all the things that uh, the the high priest would be wearing. I think that's rather incredible. Well, let's keep going on in Matthew. Let's go to twelve twenty-two. You don't mind going through the book of Matthew for a little bit, do you? <laughs> then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? Is this the one? Is this the son of David? The crowds are saying this. You can imagine the banter and all the whispering and then some are shouting, Is this him? This this can't be him, can it? They just saw something that was incredible. The demon possessed, who was blind and mute, and they've seen all these miracles and you know, look what Jesus has done, they're all amazed. And that's when the Pharisees speak up and say, oh, what are they going to do? They can't deny the fact of what just happened. They can't deny these miracles. They says, well, he cast these demons out by the devil. That's what they recognized him as. And the people are saying, he must, if he rose, is this son of David? Is this the Messiah? They're overwhelmed. I mean, he has taken them by storm. Let's go to 15, chapter 22. They say usually in sermons you're not supposed to read a lot of scriptures and go to other passages because it'll confuse people. You know what? I say baloney because the people here all know what it means to go to scriptures that support it and you get excited about it, don't you? I'm breaking a rule that they say in seminary that you're not supposed to do. Well, let me tell you, scripture is the best interpreter. I'm not. Well, just let this speak. Yeah, right, the modern scribes are saying that. Uh, 15, 22. And a Canaanite woman. Mm. What did we just say? A Canaanite woman who doesn't live there in Israel. From that region, she's up there north where she been and, and Matthew here... He talks about traditions and such. Anyway, a Gentile woman, Canaanite woman, from that region, came out, began to cry out saying, this is from Tyre and Sidon, right? He went there. Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. Now, how did she know that? Well, the Word of God now. Those miracles, all His great teaching, had gone even up to Tyre and Sidon. He had gone up there. There He is. We remember, we we studied about that in Mark, didn't we? It says, mercy. Have mercy on me. She recognizes her sin. Have mercy. Mercy of, you know, keep me from your judgment. Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. She is confessing that He is the Messiah. Does this jump out at you? A Canaanite woman? Boy, Matthew is really getting us some good verses here, isn't he? Chapter 20, verse 30. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And these poor guys, they, people are going to think bad of them and everything. Or Jesus is going to think bad and the disciples are, hey, shut them up, shut them up. And they're saying it even louder. Son of David, have mercy on us. Wow, that speaks volumes. 21 verse 9. Here we go. We sang this song today. The crowds going ahead of Him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! to the son of David. That's what they said. Everybody knows what the son of David means. We've already covered all of that. I know I'm, I keep hitting on this. Say, Dennis, go ahead and get to the next point. You know, you've made your point. But I think it's interesting that Matthew would just keep on writing about this through here. We don't have to be convinced, do we already know? But isn't it good to have this solidified? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, save us now. 
But unfortunately, most of them are saying, save our country. They're not thinking individually. They already are believers because they're Jewish, right? (laughs) Not just because you're Jewish just makes you a believer. Well, in Mark 10, 47... Blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, we remember this when we were in Jeopardy, and was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember the two blind men? Well, this is blind Bartimaeus. Uh, basically the same as the, the two guys. Mark emphasizes him. Um, look in Romans 1.3. New Testament writers have it written all over the place just like the Old Testament had it. Not just in the Gospels. Paul writes about the son of David concerning his son, God's son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, according to being a man who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. No doubt about it, Paul comes in declaring it right there. He's the Son of David. He is of man descent, but He's also the Son of God. There's the two natures. The Son of God, the Son of Man. They come together, and that's on a theological book like the book of Romans. And we see it in the Gospels there. Second Timothy 2.8 I say this because it is repeated over and over and over. The son of David. We don't call him that much today, do we? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my Gospel. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Remember Christ. He rose from the dead. There's a son of God. He's a descendant of David, the son of man. Ah, the two natures. You get the picture. He's viewed as the son of David. They know that. It's a messianic title. New Testament writers then write about it. People universally just stood, uh, stood out. They understood that the Messiah would be the David's son and even the, the, uh, the Gentile lady when you think about it. Incredible. In John seven forty one and 42... Others were saying, this is the Christ. Some people are saying, this is the prophet. This is a prophet here, right? He's a prophet. Others were saying, this is the Mashiach. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Still others were saying, well, surely the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee, is he? (laughs) What's up with Galilee? Hasn't the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. We know that in Micah 5.2 it says he's going to come from Bethlehem and he's the son of David and that's where he come from. So they started having divisions. They started arguing. <laughs> Theological debating. I think it's very clear. Now that's a theological question. Let's get to the scriptural question. Jesus tosses in this Scriptural surprise, which just blows their thinking as we are in Mark 12 now, right? So already ask them, uh, hey, uh, how's the scribe said the Christ is the son of David? We covered all that, right? David himself. He says, I'm going to use this to clarify. Here's what David said about this. And he said it in the Holy Spirit. David just didn't say this out of his own flesh, out of just saying, well, I think, I think this. Here's what my idea is. Jesus quotes a psalm. It's found in the New Testament. Mark records this here. And of course, Matthew. In Second Samuel... David knew what he was doing whenever he was writing Scripture. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. 
By the way, I'm going to read verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. Okay, This is right at his, his last breath. This is his last song, it's called. David, the son of Jesse, declares, The man who was raised on high declares, The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. It's himself. Of course, ultimately, he's really pointing to Christ here. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. He used my mouth. He inspired me to write this. Direct revelation from God. And His Word was on my tongue. So things that were written by David, those Psalms, we see this right here. Whenever he wrote those, the Psalm 110, which Jesus refers to and He says what David said was he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God was on my tongue. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. That's what David is saying. Jesus is emphasizing, I want you to know, when David spoke about this, it was actually the Word of God. You can't have any higher authority, can you? David's a pretty good authority, but if he's spoken of, if God is speaking through him, then, folks, this is an inspired text. When David said, the Lord said to my Lord, you know, you know what Jesus is doing? He's appealing to the Holy Spirit, to the inspiration of Scripture. Now, isn't that something? Inspired text, the Scripture. And you know, the Christ is found all throughout the Psalms. I'm going to use a high theological term here, messianic. It refers to the Messiah. All throughout the Psalms, you'll see so many times when David or some other writer is writing of a Messiah. The Messiah. That's a messianic psalm when it uh, is referring to him. And the Psalms are highly messianic. Matter of fact, they will talk about his first coming, his, uh, of course, his birth, where he's going to be born, and all of that. Uh, his life, his experiences, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming, the kingdom that he will reign in. That's all found in the Psalms. That you can find the Messiah. Psalm one ten one. If you were to turn there. This is what's being said. This is what Jesus quotes from. And do you know that this Psalm 110.1 I think is the most quoted verse out of the Old Testament that is put in the New Testament? We are at a very high point in the book of Mark. Jesus is not coming out saying, I am God. But he puts forth, does not Scripture... What, what, what does this mean to you? What, is, what really is this? Who is this? Check it out, guys. Think about it. That's what he's saying. Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 34. Peter. Preaching a great sermon. Pentecost. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the very first believers. It's called the church. He preaches the message right there in Jerusalem. And this is what David says near near the end of this great sermon that he's inspired by. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sound familiar? That's our Mark passage, which is also the Psalm 110.1. And then he says, don't you know God has made him Lord and Christ? This, this son of David is not just the son of David. He's Lord. God spoke to God. God the Father spoke to the Son. The Lord said unto my Lord. David himself calls the Messiah Lord or God. And he says, well then how can this 
be His Son or we could take it in our vernacular. How can this just be His Son? Because He is, but He wants them to get to thinking a different way. Uh, Lord, the Lord, Yahweh said to my Adonai, or you have here Kurios in both terms, meaning Lord. But in the Old Testament, uh, Yahweh is the very name of God. With their understanding of Messiah and their admission that this is a messianic prophecy, what other answer are they going to come up with? Jesus used the Scriptures on the experts, the elite, the best. Quote. <laughs> and He explodes their little limited idea of this son of David being a man. They don't have that option. Of course, I often think of, I can't help but say, and I've said probably a thousand times, but he is who he said he is. Or he is an outright madman, a lunatic. Or he was lying. Or he is Lord, God. You don't have the option, as C.S. Lewis has often stated, that he is a teacher, a great teacher, a great prophet, or even just the son of David, the way that they understood it. Nobody has that option because he has already demonstrated that he is God. David's Lord, he's the son of... David understood that. Peter in this sermon understands that. The son of David is highly inadequate if it's by itself, isn't it? His Lord. And then he says, at my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. That's the place of power. The place of authority. It's to be distinguished from anybody else that came from that line. That line of David. Because this one, even though it comes from the loins of David... There's much more. So David, in the Holy Spirit, as he was being inspired, called him Lord. God identifies Messiah as Lord, taking a place at the right hand of God. He makes him co-equal in rank. I and the Father are one. Back in the Old Testament, the Shema says, the Lord our God is one. Jesus says, I am one with Him in in, uh, John 10. The power, the authority, right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Automatically I have to think of Psalm 2.8. That's a messianic psalm. And it's rather obvious who this is. In Psalm 2.8, Ask of me, this is God the Father speaking to the Son, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For my wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Amen? Amen. What a blessing. The footstool. The writer of Hebrews affirm Jesus' supernatural superiority. In fact, the whole writer, I mean the whole book of Hebrews is about that. Jesus superior over the angels, over Moses, over whoever. He is superior over everything. And in Psalm one thirteen or Hebrew one thirteen, you will see that. That's a great deity passage. If you ever run into somebody that doesn't believe that Jesus is God, you can take them to Hebrews. You can take them to the passages we've been. One after another, after another, after another. But in in Hebrews chapter 1, 8, 
I, verse 13 is where we're leading to. Look at this. Here's God the Father speaking. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God. God is saying, O God, to Him, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. Uh, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, has messiahed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And look in verse 10. And you, Lord, you, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. God the Father, who was part of the creation, also said, you created the earth. For many passages. Colossians and such. Now let's go to our key verse. The Hebrew writer took right out of Psalm 110.1. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The angels are ministering spirits. This one is much higher than the angels. He's God. He's already said that. God the Father called him God. I think that's one of the greatest deity passages in all of the Bible in Hebrews right here. And there are many others. <laughs> this is the God-man. I think we just solved the mystery of the person of Jesus Christ, David's son, David's Lord, is a man that was born in the line of David, but he was God. No Middle Eastern father would ever call a son of his Lord. This is totally unique. He is David's Lord. And finally came the ascension to the Father in fulfillment of Psalm 110.1. He ascended to the Father. Make my enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, in the early church, okay. Now we, we, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended. What happened during the time of the early church? Well, right at the very first day, the church is born in Acts two. What do we have? We have Peter preaching about the Son of David being God. And Christians started applying that psalm to Christ. There is a Messiah. All the Jews know that. He's the son of David. We know that. He's going to be the Messiah. And they're saying the Messiah is here, has been here. Jesus. And that's what all the New Testament writers do. And they quote from that. The Jews, for hundreds of years then, have to all of a sudden start backpedaling. Well, we can't use one of our favorite verses that we always talk about and say that that is the Messiah. So what did they start doing? I'm talking about the Jews who didn't convert to Christianity. They have some explaining to do, right? And people people are going to come up to their their family members. They're both Jews. You can be a Jew and still be a Christian, right? Okay. They go up to their family members and they say, hey, I want to prove to you that the Son of David, the Messiah, is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And and so, you know, either they would say, oh, you're right, I never saw it that way. Or they're going to say, no way. And so the leaders start coming up with the fact, well, that's really Abraham. That's really the beginning of our nation. And, and so it's, it's him. Or some would say, no, it's Melchizedek. And some would say, well, it's Judas Maccabees. You know, in the last <clears throat> couple hundred years. They were kind of victorious for a little while over the Gentiles in some ways. Others even applied it to some scribes, some priests. And then they started arranging the Hebrew to come up with this acrostic to make it fit. You know, an acrostic could take a letter here and a letter there and another letter and it spells out something. So they, they do that, they play with it, they manipulate it into another meaning. All before the time of Christ, it's the Messiah. And all of a sudden, no, it's not. And even today, they do the same thing. They'll say all those. Matter of fact, today they're even clever. They will say, well, yeah, that's the Messiah for the Gentiles. But it's not the Messiah for the Jews. Hmm. Matter of fact, there is a, uh, a guy on TV and radio. His name is John Hagee. Uh, he's getting more and more false as can be. He's exposing himself. And he wrote a book, an entire book, about the Jews are all saved, they're okay, whether they trust in our Jesus or not, because their Messiah is going to be coming. Hmm. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. They're looking for another Messiah. And that's what Hagee teaches. I call that false. I call that very dangerous. And he's been stating some other things lately that uh, very much bother me. Of course, I guess we could take that into our Second Peter passage, so we won't go into that. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies under your feet. That's really the literal what it means. It's going to conquer over them. Uh, we've got to get to the practical question. How about this theology, folks? The master of theology. How about this scripture that he just used? The master of scriptures. He is the scripture. He is theology. By the way, theology just means the study of God. Therefore, let all the house of Israel... What's the therefore, therefore? Practical. This is how you put this into your life. No, for certain. When Jesus says no for certain, you better believe it. That God has made Him both Lord and Christ. He is God and the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now that's, that's an act. That's an act, right? But He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to our Mark now. And our Mark 12. And of course, that's what David's doing. He's trying to bring this in application. You must trust Him. There's where He is. Jesus doesn't say, okay, that's me. But He does say this. David himself calls Him Lord. So in what sense is He His Son? Large crowd enjoyed listening to Him. Hmm. Messiah is more than the Son of David. He's not just a conquering... Warrior, Jesus is trying to get that thought out of their minds and implant who He really is. He's a servant of God who brings the love of God. That's what the Messiah is. I'm going to ask some questions here. If God became a man, would we expect Him to be sinless? Would we expect Him to be perfect? Right? Yes, we would. If God were to teach and speak, wouldn't we expect His words to be the greatest words that were ever spoken? If God were a man, would we not expect Him to do supernatural acts? If you were living in that time as a Jew, wouldn't you have expected... Okay, here's what I expect of the Messiah. I expect Him to speak incredible words. I, I expect Him to do supernatural things. I expect Him to be sinless. If God were a man, wouldn't we expect Him to display the attributes of God like love and grace and mercy? Wouldn't we expect Him to do that? All of these come together in the Messiah, who is the Christ, and He forces them to interpret this. You've always said it was a Messianic Psalm. David was referring to the Psalm as the Messiah here. David called Him the one who would rule. My Lord, David said. And here's the crowd's response. You just had Jesus, the God of the universe, speak. Would you say that that is an incredible expository work? The best. The best. And here's the best that can be said from the crowd. They enjoyed listening to Him. I think that's very pathetic. What a response. This is really cool. That's nice. That, that's good. But in Matthew twenty-two forty-six, David then calls him Lord. How is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word. Nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. I guess not. You don't see that the large crowd fell on their faces in the presence of the incarnate God just standing before them. Nobody dared to ask him a question. They enjoyed the teaching. Either way... If they don't see Jesus as who He is, they're going to end up in hell. You might be entertained by Jesus, 
That's deadly. And it's daring as these people that hated him, right? This masterful, expository exposition of Psalm 110 by Jesus. And you have to ask, where is the repentance? Remember the blind people? Remember the Canaanite woman? Son of David, have mercy on us. We recognize our sin and we are before a holy God. They don't necessarily say that when you're saying mercy. Yes, you are. Why aren't the people doing this? Where's the faith? Where's their affirmation for it? It was dead. Beware of the scribes. They're going to lead you to hell. And that's what's coming up as we, as Jesus has talked about that and He will go on with it. They could not see the darkness of their hearts. Beware of anybody who ever leads you to a wrong view of Christ. No matter how good and how great a people they may be, don't ever let somebody give you a misunderstanding of Christ. I don't care if it's Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims, the Buddhists. They're all wrong. Not because I say it's wrong, because Jesus Christ, right here in this passage, demands worship. He demands a repentance and demands a faith in Him and Him alone, the One who resurrected from the dead in a body. And that's what Scripture says. Any religion that has a skewed view of Jesus Christ is deadly. And I mean in an internal sense. John wrote, These things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you may believe on His name, and by believing have eternal life. It's all about Christ. If you don't have Christ right, and you don't have the right view of Him and who He is and what He's about, you can't have eternal life. You have to believe the truth concerning Him. Jesus just gave it in about three verses. And He let them realize who He is, and some probably might have. Others, and for the most, did not. The Son of David, who is Jesus Christ? He is God. Let's pray. Father, You are a great, holy God. Thank You for letting us see this great Son of David, who is much more than a man, and just more from the loins of David, the man-God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Lord of our hearts. He rules over us. And we can gladly say, thank You, Lord, for being Lord, very God, over my life. Help me to be a better servant, a better slave of You, the God of the universe. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.